Can you think of a hotter topic than money? Some people say money makes the world go round. Others say, or at least act like, money is the key to happiness. Even the wealthiest people say they just need a little more. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm your host, Steve Schwetz, and today our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, dives right into this issue as we study the personal journal of the richest man in the world in his day, King Solomon. But first, since we're on the subject, let's listen to Dr. McGee share the heart behind Through the Bible's fundraising practices. From time to time, it was my custom to state the policy of the Through the Bible radio program. And it's time again for it to be stated, and I would like to do that. It has never been our plan or purpose from the very beginning to use high-pressure methods. We do not send out junk mail. Everyone that's on our mailing list got there because they asked to be put there or else someone asked for them. We today believe that if you are not able to support the program and you want our notes and outlines, that God will raise up somebody down the street or over in the next town to send in enough for you and for them also. We believe that the real test is the support that comes from any area, and we will not continue on a program if we do not get a reasonable amount of support. And we always give every station a fair opportunity to see if it's going to pay for itself. And that, by the way, is all that we ask. We do from time to time appeal to you to support our foreign broadcasts. After all, we cannot ask them, uh, that is, the Chinese or the people of India or the people of South America or the people in Russia to support our program. We believe that there are enough folk in this country that are interested in getting out the word over iron curtains, under bamboo curtains, and through the curtains of indifference and sin today uh, to get the word of God out to the world. So we just let you know this and trust you'll understand that we do need your support, though we will not violate our rule by using high-pressure methods. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you'll bless this program as it goes out today. We pray you'll touch the hearts of those who listen. If they're hard hearts, may the Word of God be a hammer to break that heart. If that heart is already broken, may the Word of God be the bomb of Gilead to bind it up. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're off to Ecclesiastes 5 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now we're in the section where this man using religion as a means of satisfaction. You see, Solomon made an experiment in life. Probably the only man that could have made this kind of an experiment. And he tried certain things like science, natural laws, studying that, wisdom and philosophy, pleasure, materialism, that is living for the now. 
And then fatalism, which is a popular way of living today, and egoism, that is, living for self. And then, of all things, he tried religion. Now, that doesn't mean he tried God, because he didn't. And we saw that in this, this man found out that if you go through a form or ritual, it won't satisfy your heart, and that you better be very careful when you deal with God, because he is a reality, and he'll deal with you in a very, very definite way. Now, let me read again verse 7. For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also divers' vanities, that is, all kinds of emptiness. But fear thou God. In other words, dreams and words are no substitute for a personal relationship with God. Uh, somebody says, I've had a dream, or I've had an experience. And may I say to you that an experience is no substitute at all for a study of the Word of God. There are a great many people today that use an experience to even test the Word of God. Instead of using the Word of God to test their experience, the important thing is that all experience should be tested by the Word of God. We are to try the spirits to see whether they are of God or not. And today, a great many people go out on the tangent of experience and live there. That's religion. It appeals to the emotion. It appeals to the aesthetic sense. And it dwells upon experience. And as your faith today in Christ rests upon experience, or does it rest upon the naked Word of God? That's very important. Do you have religion, or do you have Christ? Now, verse 8, the last verse here in this section, "...if thou seest the oppression of the poor, and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter." For he that is higher than the highest regard it, and there be higher than they. Now, today we've heard of a great deal of corruption in the poverty program. Well, I believe that God deals with this type of thing as he does with nothing else. Those that are taking advantage of the poor, those today that are attempting to get rich at the expense of the poor. That, to my judgment, is something that God judges. And the very program that today makes a great many people feel comfortable that we now have become a generous people and we have a poverty program. Well, we also have a lot of corruption today. Now, God will look at that thing. And if you see the corruption and if you're in it, you ought to get out of it. I don't think a Christian can have part in a corrupt poverty program in any way whatsoever, any shape, form, or fashion. And you're to recognize one thing, that if you see the corruption, you can be sure of one thing, God sees the corruption. And God is going to do something about it. He will bring in judgment. And the history of this world rather bears that out governments that have attempted to bear down upon the poor. Those governments fail. And I think probably the 
best example, the one that we are more acquainted with than any other, is the French. The French Revolution came. And it wasn't a nice, pretty thing by any means. It was an awful thing. But I think it was the judgment of God upon the corruption of a nation that a few were living at the expense of the many, of the poor. And that is something God has had so much to say about. There's so much said about that when the Lord Jesus reigns, the poor are going to get a fair deal. They are going to find that there's one that is reigning that really means business when he says that he's going to do something for the poor. There'll be justice and righteousness for them. And I don't think he's going to put them on the dole system. I don't think that he's going to give them out actually food stamps. I think that every person will make his contribution in that day. In the millennium, they'll make their contribution and they will receive justice at his hands. Now, that leads us to this next division that we have here, something that this man pursued is no other man pursued, and that is the pursuit and enjoyment of wealth. Now, Solomon was in a position to do that better than anyone else. He alone was probably the richest man that's ever been on this earth. He cornered the gold market, and the wealth of the world was his. And he could buy anything that he wanted, and he gave himself over to the accumulation of gold. That was the thing that finally brought the downfall of the nation, was that the greed of nations outside, seeing the wealth there, moved in upon them. And then God let down the barrier and... After five years of putting up a wall of protection, that wall crumbled, and God let the nations of the world come in and help themselves. Now, this man tries wealth, and this is what he says in verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. And the president of a great corporation that comes to the end of the year and sees a tremendous profit, that actually is not going to satisfy at all. You may have a great bank account. It may offer a certain amount of security to you and satisfaction, but it won't satisfy you. That won't satisfy you at all. It's going to be how you use it. And therefore, what he's saying is simply this, wealth is not wrong in itself. And Scripture never condemns wealth. It condemns the love of money and that that's the root of all evil. It's the love, not the money. But the love of money is the root of all evil. And to accumulate wealth for wealth's sake, that's wrong. And the miser thinks dollars are flat so they can be stacked. The spendthrift thinks they're round so they can be rolled but both are entirely wrong. Man's attitude toward money, that is the thing that has made big business. It's made our system today, the profit system. There's nothing wrong with it in and of itself. The thing is wrong are the people that are in it. The system is not the thing that's wrong, but the people, because it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And there are several things that we want to say at this particular juncture. I think that are important, and this section is saying this. 
The idea today, just to increase money for money's sake, just to get rich for riches' sake. And you see men held together, bound together in an arrangement just to make money for money's sake. I was very much interested in hearing a comedian that told about a play they had produced and that he was thanking those that had participated and how they'd all cooperated. My, he was making quite a lovely speech and there was no humor in it. Till finally, he came to the end and he says, and we have all been held together by one thing. And he paused a moment and then he said, greed. Now, that's the thing that held them together. That's the thing that holds a great many things together today. It's the thing that holds big business together. It's the thing that holds the mafia together. It's the thing today that holds a great many organizations together. And the thing that is wrong is the accumulation of money for money's sake. And I must confess that I believe that it is wrong for one man or one organization to accumulate so much money and that there be so many today that are in poverty and need. And I do believe, though this may sound radical, that something eventually will have to be done. Look at India today. They let the Maharaja, they let him become immensely wealthy, and the people are poverty-stricken. That's wrong. That's entirely wrong. And that is the thing that God condemns. And he condemns it because of the love of the money and the use, therefore, that's made of it. And whether it's accumulated or whether it is rolled like the prodigal today would roll it or the spendthrift, it's entirely wrong. Money is something today. It's power. And it should be used for the glory of God today. And my friend, that's the thing that's wrong with godless capitalism and godless labor, greed, the love of money, and not using money for the glory of God. It would be wonderful if men would make money for the glory of God. It would be wonderful if men labored for money for the glory of God. It would be wonderful if it were put to a right use. And the only cure, of course, for it is to have Christ in the heart. This is a tremendous section of the Word of God. Now, I'm going to hit some high points here now. Verse 11, when goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? Just to grow for the sake of growth, a business or even a Christian organization or a church is no good at all. I remember when we started out our program, my secretary and I did all the work, every bit of it. She received the letters, opened them, and I would read them, and we would talk about them, and we just had a little Mickey Mouse operation on one station, and we'd just get in a few letters each week, and we were thrilled with it. And honestly, it wasn't much of a problem. Now we have expanded. We have quite a crew, and they're wonderful folk. But I found out that just for the sake of increasing is no good at all. It increases your headache. It increases your workload. It increases your responsibility. 
And we're just not doing it for that sake. We want to get the Word of God out to as many people as possible. And that's the thing that I want to keep before me all the time. I thank God, and the Lord had to deal with me, and I tell you, in a rough way, when you let a man have cancer in order to put him down on his back so he'll look up to you and begin to take orders, then may I say to you, I think that you're prepared now to say something. And the thing I want to say is this, this one thing I do, and that's to get the Word of God out. But just to grow for the sake of growing today, and to have a big church for the sake of a big church. I had that for years. Nothing in the world but a headache. That's all in the world that it becomes. And there's no fun in it. There's no joy in it if you're just trying to grow. We're not just trying to grow. We're trying to get the Word of God out. And I have to keep that before me. This one thing I do, Vernon McGee, get the Word of God out. I hope you're my partner in that. Now let's move along here. He says here, verse 12, "...the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, why, it's sweet." And this is something to be good for this country today. I believe that every man ought to work for what he gets in this life. And he ought to be paid for what he gets and not out of line with everybody else. I tell you, there could be a lot of improvement made. You know, it'd be interesting if they turned it over to me, wouldn't it? I think it probably being just as big a mess it is today. Now, verse 12, "...the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep." You see the difference between the two. The laboring man can only eat so much, and that's all. And if he doesn't have too much to eat, he's not a glutton, therefore, and he probably will sleep lots better by not overeating. But the rich man, he has an abundance. In fact, he has gourmet food all the time, and he gets pretty tired of it. And he has no appetite for it. But believe me, he has to worry about his riches. When we were in the Hawaiian Islands, why, we were permitted to stay in a swanky hotel just because of the fact that we had a large tour, and this chain of hotels permitted us to go there. It didn't cost us anything to stay there. And it didn't cost me anything, at least, to stay there. And the thing that I noted was how unhappy the people were out there to have a good time, and they were always worrying about their things. I had to wait down at the office one day, and you know what? A woman spent, in fact, I left and came back. She spent 30 minutes getting her jewels in a safety deposit box. And when I got up there, this girl says she's been here before, and she'll be down here a dozen times to check on them and take something out to wear, then bring it back. You know, I'm glad my wife doesn't have that kind of a problem. That poor woman had a real problem of having probably, this woman said, probably $100,000 worth of jewelry. Well, glad I don't have it. Riches present a real problem. Maybe that's the reason the Lord didn't let me become rich. Now, will you notice, he says, there is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. Actually, riches today don't help a great many people. What a picture that you have here. Now, the poor man, sometimes happier than the rich man, therefore. However, Paul said he knew how to abound, and he knew how to be abased. Very frankly, 
It's harder, I'm told, to abound than it is to be abased. However, I like to try both. Verse 14, But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there's nothing in his hand. In other words, you accumulate a fortune, leave it to a boy, and he'll run through it. He'll spend it all. But today, men have become pretty wise. They don't leave it to their son. They leave it to a fund or to a trustee or whatever they do, and somebody else doles it out to the boy. And therefore, they're able to keep their riches. And we've got a lot of prominent men today that never made a dime in their lives. And they would not know how to use money. But the reason they stay rich is because of the way the old man left it. And that, to my judgment, is the thing that's becoming a great question today. Now, will you notice, and may I pause to say this, I think that finally in this nation the division is not going to be between races. I don't think it'll be black and white or the minority groups and the white race or the black. I don't think that's going to be ultimately the problem. The problem's going to finally narrow down to rich and poor. Always has, and I think it always will. That'll be the line of demarcation. And I think some of the rich have sensed that, and that's the reason that so many rich men are liberal today, is because they've already got their money. You can't touch it. They can use it, and they're willing to bring in liberalism so you can be taxed and you can pay for the programs that are being used today. They do not pay for it at all. Now, that is the real problem. And may I say to you that this man, Solomon, is speaking into that kind of a problem and that these things will not satisfy, nor do we have the solution to the problems of life like this. Now he moves on, and I'm going to go on into the sixth chapter here. He says in verse 1, "...there is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it's common among men." a man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it's an evil disease. A friend of mine years ago told me that he saw John D. Rockefeller Sr. down in Florida sitting eating his meal. And he said he saw a poor man. In fact, the man was a waiter, but he was eating way over at the side. That poor man, the waiter, who had access to the food, had a big steak before him. And he says Rockefeller had a few little crumbs, actually. He said, just little health food before him. And there's the man that could pay for it. No, the man couldn't. What a difference there was in the two. Better to have a good appetite than a big bank account, by the way. Now he says, if a man beget a hundred children, live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that untimely birth is better than he. Now he says something else here. The rich man actually can eat only three meals a day. He can sleep only on one bed at a time, and he cannot live longer than the poor man. I don't care how many doctors he has. The rich man's life is but a shadow. There is no pocket in his shroud. Job, a rich man, said that he came here with nothing, and he was going out the same way. And some spend their lives in this kind of an emptiness. And actually, 
riches can become a barrier. Now, that's what he's discussing in this chapter here. And we're going to leave it right there because next time we're going to pick up our study in chapter 7. And we're going to see the do-gooder. Now, Solomon became a do-gooder. This is your average church member in your liberal church today. And I can't think of any person that's living a sorry life as the do-gooder. Oh, that poor fellow, and I've met so many of them, I feel so sorry for them. We'll look at him next time. May God richly bless you, my beloved. Dr. McGee identified a worldwide problem. We're trying to get to heaven on our own. You know, many people think, if I just do enough good, then that will outweigh the bad. It's an issue no matter where you live, and we'll learn more about it in our next study. Until then, to be in touch, call 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit ttb.org. That's 1-800-65-BIBLE or ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you back here next time. Our story on the Bible bus today is just one step in a five-year journey through the entire Word of God. Come along for the ride, and you'll study both the Old Testament and New Testament, discovering God's great redemption story. Is this your story, too?